This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. Well, good morning. We're going to be in John chapter 1, if you want to start heading there in your Bibles. I was wondering this week, what do you think about when you think about the glory of God? What comes to mind when you picture the glory of God? Maybe it's Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah says that the train of his robe fills the temple and that his voice shakes the thresholds of heaven. Maybe it's something more like Revelation chapter 1, where John describes this son of man who has white hair and a white robe with a golden sash and and flames in his eyes and sword coming out of his mouth. Personally, when I think of the glory of God, I, I think about those times when lightning strikes really close. You know, the hair stands up on your body, that, that blinding flash of light, that loud, loud follow with a clap of thunder that kind of shakes your body as the air is superheated around you by the lightning, all of which always followed by you running to find the closest thing you can to hide under. That's what I think of when I think of lightning. But whatever it is, what do you think about when you think about the glory of God. Because this morning, I want to ask you a very simple question, and that is, do you think the glory of God would change anything about you if you saw it? What do you think would happen if you saw the glory of God? Do you think it would change anything about your life? Like, think about Moses in the Exodus. He was on the verge of calling it quits after he caught the Israelites worshiping the the golden calf. But God just showed him a glimpse of his glory, and and Moses had enough to keep going. Or think about the Apostle Paul in Acts, where he was, you know, cruising around, persecuting and killing Christians, and then he saw a flash of God's glory, and we know how he turned out. So do you think God's glory would change anything for you? That's the question I want to explore this morning. Do you think seeing God's glory would change anything about your life? Because look at at what John says about John the Baptist in the first section of our text this morning. Beginning in verse 6, John chapter 1, verse 6. He says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Now, just to be clear, the John that John is talking about is not John the gospel writer. It's John the Baptist. Now, now, as we said last week, though, this idea of witness or testimony is going to be a very important theme in the gospel of John. But the the question that I have is, is why did John and all the other gospel writers, for that matter, why did they put so much weight on John the Baptist? I mean, he was kind of a weird dude, right? I mean, why would he be the one that you're like, oh, John said this about Jesus, so you should believe him? I think he'd be the last person we would want to, to reference to say something like, well, yeah, he's kind of weird, don't listen to him. Well, the short answer is that John the Baptist was very respected in their culture. 
to say, listen to what John says was, 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 it, was a good thing to say. They liked John the Baptist. He was recognized as, as a modern-day prophet, not just by the commoners, but by the, the religious leaders as well. That's why massive crowds followed him. They were baptized him, but more importantly, they were captivated by what he said. So what was John the Baptist saying? Well, I think that's what's interesting about John the Baptist. He had one sermon, and it was titled, The Lord is Coming. And he just preached it over and over and over and over again. And people still kept coming out to listen to him. But it wasn't just what he was saying. It was also how he was saying it. You see, John the Baptist had devoted his life to this testimony. In fact, one of the reasons that he was so respected was because of the way he lived his life, because of his crazy life. I know it doesn't do much for you and I, but, but the Jews thought John the Baptist was awesome because he lived in the woods and ate bugs and the, that sort of thing. I mean, maybe aside from his diet, maybe aside from the eating bugs thing, right? Even we would respect someone who who forsakes the comforts of this world to, to preach Jesus to other people. We would respect someone like that. For example, Oswald Sanders, he was an American missionary to China in the 50s and 60s. And he would frequently tell a story about another missionary that he knew in India, in eastern India, a missionary in eastern India. Um, like, this missionary would travel around India, he'd walk around barefoot and preach the gospel to anyone who heard him. One day he approached this village after having walked for days. So this missionary's thought was first to get some rest because he was tired and his feet were bleeding. He had been walking so long. But the Holy Spirit prompted him to go to the, the village first, so he did. But he says he didn't get couple, hardly a couple sentences out before they ran him out of this village violently. And so he went you know, a little ways away and went to a tree to sleep. But right before dusk, he described being awoken by, by the whole village crowded around him under this tree, and he thought he was done for. Until the head of the tribe said, We came out to kill you, but when we saw your bloody feet, we knew we needed to hear what you had to say. Like they recognized how important it was to him. That Indian missionary said many believed because of his, his feet, and just like that missionary's feet, the life of John the Baptist said a lot about his testimony. However, in contrast to that, I want you to, to listen to something that Martin Lloyd-Jones said about the same time that this Indian missionary is describing. He said, We are meant to talk to people about the Lord Jesus Christ and to tell them, he is the Son of God, and that He has come into this world to save them. We are meant to tell others exactly why the world is as it is. We are meant to tell them about sin in the human heart, and that nobody and nothing can deal with it save the Son of God. Yet, we are very ready to talk about our doctors, to praise the man who cured us when so many failed. We talk about some business which is better than others or about films and plays and actors and actresses and a thousand and one other things. We are always glorifying people when the Christian is meant to be glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. Let that sink in for a moment. Don't dismiss Martin Lloyd-Jones too quickly. What was the last thing that you were 
super excited to tell your friends at school or, or at work? Was it, was it the latest amazing thing you saw an athlete do? Was it some accomplishment of your child? Was it something you saw on, on some social media thing that you just couldn't wait to tell everybody else? Because I have to ask, when's the last time you couldn't wait to tell someone about God? I ask that because even though John the Baptist had a, had a special calling, we can learn something from him. For one, his testimony about Jesus, it consumed his life. It wasn't something he did in his spare time. It's what he spent his time doing. And even though John the Baptist was very respected by the people of his day, even though God had done some amazing things in his life, who did John the Baptist want to talk about? He always directed people away from what he was doing toward Jesus Christ. In other words, our lives are supposed to support what they say. That is true. But our witness shouldn't be based solely on what God has done in our lives. You see, too many Christians are only able to share the gospel by talking about how God made their lives better. How Jesus saved them from their addiction, from their depression, from their immorality or something like that. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that God has not done some amazing things that deserve to be shared. I'm not saying that at all. But we have to be careful that we don't reduce God to just a better self-help program. Because on the one hand, there are plenty of people in this world for whom faith in God would make their life worse. But in addition to that, there are also plenty of other religions that can claim to have helped people with drug abuse or depression or immorality. In other words, while our experience should commend our faith, our testimony must not center on our experience, but on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Or to say that differently, like John the Baptist, the goal of our witness should not lead others to want God to fix their problems in this life. We should not be sharing God to say that He will fix your problems in this life but for God to fix their problem of sin for the next life. Their larger problem of depravity. So I wonder, do you think your witness would change if you saw the glory of God? Do you think you'd have something else to talk about if you saw the glory of God? If, if you saw the glory of God, do you think your life would look like you believe what you can't wait to tell other people? Let's keep moving. Look at the next section of our text, which is verse 9. John says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. 
He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, what's equal parts crazy and heartbreaking about that section is not only did Jesus' own creation not recognize him, but they rejected him. I mean, imagine walking up to one of your own kids only to get a look back like, who are you? And take a step back, dude. And, and maybe you respond, you're like, good one, hun. How's it been? And they're like, no, seriously, get away from me, creep. How would that feel? And not because your kid knew who you were and just didn't want to be around you. Every parent gets to experience that at some point or another. But because they had no idea who you were and had wanted nothing to do with you. Like some Hitchcock movie. They didn't recognize the people who had birthed them. But in contrast to those who didn't receive Jesus. Look at those who did on the other side of, of this very important but at the beginning of verse 12. He says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now what does that phrase, he gave the right to, mean? I mean, are we talking like he gave them permission are we talking like he approved their ability? Are we talking about he consented for them to be children of God? What are we talking about here? Well, that word right or exousia in Greek, it, it, it comes from, it's a legal term that simply means the, the power or the authority. That's all it really means. But, but here's what I think is interesting. The root word of that word right in Greek is emi, which might sound familiar to some of you. Emi. It's, it's the word Jesus used when the high priest asked him if he was the son of God, to which Jesus responded, ego and me, I am. In other words, Jesus said, I am the one who exists. I am Yahweh. In other words, having this, this, this right to be called children of God, it comes from the root word of simply to be or to exist. Which means, listen, it means the right John is speaking of here is not just permission. It's not approval. It's not even God's consent. No, John is saying that those who have received Jesus Christ have been given the intrinsic right. A right based on who you are to be called a child of God. Or to say this another way, listen, I want this to be a little bit jarring. By believing in Jesus Christ, you have been made to deserve being called a child of God simply because of who you are in Jesus Christ. Meaning Jesus took you, someone who deserved hell, someone who deserved not to be called a child of God, and through his work on the cross, 
transformed transformed you into someone who has the legal right to be called the child of God. Because of who you are, because of who he made you to be, because of you existing. Do you feel that way this morning, Cedar Springs Church? Do you feel like someone who has the legal right to be called a child of God because of who Jesus made you to be? That's a tricky question, isn't it? I mean, on the one hand, you're in church. And you know the right answer is that you're a dirty sinner who doesn't do anything right. But on the other hand, Pastor Grant used the word Jesus, and we all know that's the universal right answer to any question. So which is it? Do you or don't you believe you deserve to be called a child of God? Well, do you believe what, Jesus, what John said? Have you received Jesus Christ? And what does John say? He says, you have been given the right to be called a child of God. And let me be clear, I'm not saying this has anything to do with you. I am not saying that at all. No, listen, I'm saying this has everything to do with what Jesus has done for us. This has everything to do with what Jesus has done for us on the cross when he took everything away from us that made us not deserve to be a child of God in order to give us everything that makes us deserve to be a child of God. Do you believe that? Do you believe you, you deserve to be called a child of God because of what Jesus Christ has done for you? Let me ask that differently. How would you answer that question if you saw the glory of God? And, and, and let, me, let me be clear. How would you answer that question if you saw the glory of God and, and A, you didn't melt, and B, God himself, in all of his glory, said, you are my child. Would, would seeing God's glory change how you think about that? Would you believe it then? Because look at the last section of our text this morning in verse 14. John said, And the word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. He said, for, verse 16, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the, right, at the Father's side, He has made Him known. So as, as many of you already know, when John says in verse 14 that the Word dwelt among us, he's, he's, he's referencing the tabernacle, that, that tent that God lived in in the wilderness with the Jews. But what made that tent special? What made that tent in the wilderness Special. Well, well, what made it special was that's where God's glory lived. That's where God's glory resided. In fact, sometimes God's glory didn't stay in the tent. Sometimes His glory, sometimes his glory got out of the tent, and it freaked people out because it usually ended with someone being evaporated or, or being swallowed up by the ground. But God's glory lived in that tent. But John says, the Word of God has dwelt with us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father. So what does that mean? What does he mean we have seen 
his glory. Is he, maybe he's talking about the transfiguration. Is that what he's saying? We've seen his glory in the transfiguration? Well, we all know that John's gospel is a little different from the others. Just take a guess. What story is not in John's gospel that's in all the other gospels? It's the transfiguration. So I don't think John's talking about something that he's not going to explain later. Maybe it was Jesus' appearance. Is that what he's saying when he says we've seen the glory of God? Is he talking about Jesus' appearance? I, probably not. I mean, Isaiah 53 is pretty clear that Jesus wasn't anything special to look at. So, so maybe, maybe when John says we've seen his glory, he's talking about Jesus' miracles. That's possible. Jesus' miracles were certainly amazing, but there were a lot of people who saw Jesus' miracles and didn't see anything glorious. I mean... In, 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 in Matthew chapter 12, there were some people who thought Jesus performed his miracles by the power of Satan. So I'm, I don't think that's it. So what does John mean when he says, we have seen the glory of God? Well, how does John define that glory they've seen? Look, look at the end of verse 14. He says, that, he says the words glory was as of the Father's, meaning it was like God's glory. It, 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 he was bringing God's glory to us. And he described that glory as full of grace and truth. And then finally, thank God, at the end of verse 17, John does away with the metaphors and says plainly that that glory, that that grace and truth came through who? Jesus Christ. He says in verse 18, No one has ever seen God, but Jesus, who is at the Father's side, he has made God known. He's made His glory known to us. His glory that is full of grace and truth. So let me ask you again. What do you think it would be like to see this glory that John is talking about? Do you think it would change your life if you saw it? Let's go back because we know he's not talking about the transfiguration. Since he doesn't say that, we know he's not talking about Jesus' looks or His miracles so what was the glory John says they've seen? It's right there in black and white. We've already read it. The glory of Jesus that John is describing, that they saw, the glory, it wasn't a physical manifestation. It wasn't a blinding light or a loud noise. No, the glory John is describing wasn't something they saw with their eyes. It was something they saw with their hearts. The glory they saw was the glory of God in who Jesus was. As plain as he was, they saw the glory of God in him. They saw the way he acted. They saw what he said. They, they saw what he did. They saw the, the glory of God in the grace and truth that came from Jesus Christ. Think about it this way. When Moses asked to see God's glory, all the way back in Exodus, what did God actually show him? What did God actually show Moses all the way back in Exodus? What glory did Moses actually see? Well, in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 and 7, it says this, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, 
but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now again, how did John describe the glory of God that they've seen in verse 14? Didn't he say it was full of grace and truth? Well, what what was the glory Moses saw in verses 6 and 7? He said, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That sounds a lot like grace to me. And what else did did Moses see at the end of verse 7? God said, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. That sounds a lot like truth to me. In other words, listen, the same glory that Moses saw is the same glory that John saw. They both saw the glory of God that is seen in his unending grace and his unflinching truth. I can tell by your faces you're saying, all right, Grant, my brain's hurting. What does this have to do with me? Well, let me ask you again. Do you think it would change anything for you if you saw that glory of God? Do you think anything in your life would change if you saw the glory of God? Because I want you to listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3, beginning in verse 7. He said, now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, he's talking about the law that Moses was given. If the ministry carved on letters of stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? He continues in verse 10, indeed, In this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Listen, so Paul's saying what's come after the law, the new covenant that we live under, that John is describing in this gospel, that covenant, It was endorsed by the blood of Jesus Christ, has more glory than the covenant that made Moses' face shine. Then listen, he continues in verse 12 of 2 Corinthians 3. He says, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. says verse 14, But their minds were hardened, There was a veil over their face that remains unlifted, he says. Verse 15, yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. Verse 16, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. But when what? What did he say? When one turns to the Lord? I think we've heard something kind of similar to that. Haven't we back in John chapter 1? Doesn't that sound a lot like receiving the Lord? Because listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And listen very closely. And we all, that's you and me, 
with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Did you hear that? We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. In other words, I've been asking if you think your life would change if you saw the glory of the Lord. But what John is telling us in verses 6 through 18 of the first chapter of his gospel is this. Do you believe what John the Baptist said, that Jesus is the light? Do you believe that? That's a question. Do you believe that? Good. Do, do, have you received Jesus and, and therefore been given the right to be called a child of God? Is that true about you? Then brothers and sisters, listen. You have beheld the glory of the Lord. You've seen it. You have beheld the glory of the Lord. Now, don't get me wrong. You haven't beheld all the glory of the Lord but you have beheld the glory of the Lord that John is talking about in the character of Jesus. You've seen the same glory of the Lord in the grace and truth of Jesus Christ right here in His Word. You've seen it with your heart and not with your eyes. You have beheld the glory of the Lord. Which means what's the tough question that needs to be asked? If we've seen the glory that John is describing, what's the uncomfortable question we need to answer? If, we, if we've seen the glory of the Lord, then, then isn't the question, why hasn't it changed my life like, like I've been thinking it would? You think about witnessing the glory of the Lord and you think, wow, that would be amazing. That certainly would change my life. Why hasn't it? You've seen it. Why aren't we more bold like Paul said? Brothers and sisters, here's the truth. God's glory just isn't that amazing to us. It's not as amazing to us as other things. It's not as amazing to us as stupid cat videos on YouTube or what some athlete's going to do this afternoon. That's the truth. The truth is that God's glory... Is just not as amazing to us as we think it would be. Well, that's awesome. So what's the solution? Our hearts know what effect the glory of God should have on us. But we also know that it hasn't, so what do we do? Well, I think Paul's already given us an answer in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Look at it again. He said, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are what? Being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. In other words... The solution is we need to keep beholding the glory of the Lord that John and Paul are describing because it's, it's by that glory that we are transformed into people who act like they've seen the glory of the Lord. That's the solution is to keep beholding the glory of the Lord. So, 
So how do we behold the glory of the Lord? Well, again, what is that according to the Gospel of John? It's the grace and truth of Jesus Christ found in His Word. That's the point. We need to keep beholding the grace and truth of Jesus Christ found in His Word. In other words, brothers and sisters, if you want to behold the glory of the Lord, if you want to be transformed into someone whose life looks like they've seen the glory of the Lord, then immerse yourself in the glory of God's grace and truth. What's the truth? The truth is, we are depraved. We are wicked sinners. Immerse yourself in that. Own it. Own it. Listen, whether you believe or not, I can't tell you how freeing it is to simply let go of pretending you're better than what you really are. Just let go. Acknowledge how sinful we really are. Plumb the depths of your sin. Let God alarm you with the yawning chasm of your depravity. Let the, let the jarring reality of the height and depth and width and breadth of your sin, let the reality of it have its full effect. What might that look like to actually do that? Here's one simple suggestion. When you confess your sin, do you try to confess individual mistakes or do you confess the heart of your sin? For example, rather than just confessing that you, you yelled at someone this week, try confessing that you have the heart of a murderer. Rather than confessing that you've had a, an impure thought this week, confess that you are, are, an, idol, are, are, an, are an adulterer. That's what the Bible says. Confess that. Instead of just confessing that, that you like other things more than God, just confess that you're an abject idolater. Immerse yourself in that truth. Why? Why in the world would we do something like that? That sounds horrible. Why would we do something like that? The first answer is because it's true. It's true. Immerse yourself in the truth of God. Because listen, the reason we would immerse ourselves in the truth of our sin is so that God could captivate us with the glory of His grace. We would immerse ourselves into the truth of our sin so God could consume us with the radiance of His mercy. Behold the glory of the Lord by acknowledging the truth of your sin so God can overwhelm you with the blinding light of the other truth. The truth that no matter how deep you dig into that pit of your sin, the only thing you'll find is more grace. The only thing you'll find is, as John said, a God who would come to live with you, who would bring His glory to earth so you could see it and feel it and hear it and know it. That kind of glory. 
so you could see more of the grace he showed you when Jesus Christ died on the cross on your behalf. Immerse yourself in that truth and that grace. Because what does Paul say happens when we behold that kind of glory? He says we're transformed. Just like John was. Just like any other child of God is. He says we're transformed into people who, who like John the Baptist, spend their lives boldly testifying to the world of the glory that we've also seen. We're transformed into people who can't wait to tell others about our God and who He is. We're transformed into people who can't be bought or tempted by the trinkets of this world. Because we're transformed into people who have seen the glorious grace and truth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You have seen His glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for this this immense piece of your word and the truth that is in it. Father, I pray this week you would continue to work in our hearts the, the glory of the grace and truth that we see in our Savior through, his, through your word. Draw us deeper, Lord, into that glory. Draw us deeper into the to the light, and to the radiance of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The truth that we're sinners. Father, give us a passion to boldly speak to others about what we have seen. The beautiful grace of our salvation. Father, it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.